Welcome to Be The Difference, stories of everyday people who are being the difference in the lives of others. Be The Difference is presented by back-to-back ministries who exist to be a voice for orphan and vulnerable children all around the world. I'm Sammy Matthews, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Cox. Uh, We're talking with Canadians today, Sammy. This is pretty exciting. It's exciting because we get to talk to Rick and Lisa Bercy, but it's also exciting because this goes along with a big back-to-back announcement. We are announcing our ninth back-to-back site today. Yeah, we are. Rick and Lisa Bercy are originally from Canada, like Chris said, and they moved to Mexico in 2008. They moved to a little town called Linares, which is about two hours south of Monterey. And over the years that they've been in Mexico, they've worked with back-to-back, collaborated with back-to-back, but we're going to a whole new level, making it official. We are making Linares the ninth official back-to-back site, and that means Rick and Lisa are the back-to-back site directors. They currently live um, in Linares and operate a small home called Possibilities House or Casa Posibilidades. At this home, they have about 13 kids. They're living in two different family settings. And this was their first original focus was to create Possibilities House and create a permanent place for kids to grow. But now the dream has gotten bigger. And as they become a site, they're gonna expand into foster care initiatives, into community strengthening, they're going to really be a part of transforming the town of Linares. As you hear the story of how Rick and Lisa followed a leading and a prompting to end up um, outside of Monterey and connected even with Back to Back over the past years, I'm going to ask you to listen for a couple of things. The first thing that I'm going to ask you to listen for is the tension between a leap of faith or taking steps forward in faith and the sustainability, both financially and economically, that we all long for. The second thing I'm going to ask you to to listen for is the belief system or the family principle that Rick and Lisa have around saying yes. And I resonate highly with that one as well. So listen for those couple of things. Here's a conversation with our new members of the Back to Back family, Rick and Lisa. If each of you could just choose three words that would resonate with what life was like before moving to Mexico, what three words would you choose? Wow, that's a good question. Um, like most people, I guess, in North America, our lives were it was comfortable, hmm. uh, secure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of predictable, too, I think. Mm. <laughs> That would be three words that I would I would use. I think for me, it definitely was easy. It was plentiful. We had everything we needed, and mm. uh, and contented. We were mm. we were content. So I listened to those adjectives, and I'm like, hmm, comfortable, content, <laughs> plentiful. That all sounds pretty good. It was a pretty but good what, life. <laughs> yeah. Was there something that like? first opened your eyes to serving vulnerable kids because I know that you stepped into that story long before you moved to Mexico. So how did that combine with that plentiful, easy, content life? Well, when, when we, were, we were living that, that comfortable life and all that contentment actually bred discontentment with Lisa and I. We, we felt like there was, there was more we should be doing. There was more that, that needed to be done. 
but we didn't really know how. So we had we made this decision. It was a weird thing, but between us, we made this decision that whatever happened in our lives, whatever God wanted, we were just going to say yes to. It didn't matter how small or how big, or how ridiculous it sounded or how silly even it sounded. We were just going to say yes. And, and it started us on a, a really strange journey and uh, that ended us up in, in Mexico. Um, we, we started doing things like we would just help the poor. We would, we would see somebody that we felt needed something and we would just step up to them. We would, um, if somebody looks sad, we would just bring comfort. We would do whatever God just placed in front of us. We would just do it. And uh, eventually that led to bigger things. And, and we, at one point we started thinking, how can we make this affect other people. How can we do the same thing for other people? And I was leading a youth group at the time, and we decided we wanted to take the youth group somewhere where they could see outside of their comfortable lives. They could see something different. And we took them to to Mexico through a series of circumstances. We found somebody who was leading groups in Mexico, and we we took them here. And uh, it it was a, a eye opening experience for for them, but it was also very very eye opening experience for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, here we are. They're still up in Canada making great money, doing the living the comfortable life. <laughs> Not one of them in missions. And here we are doing what we do. <laughs> so, so God had a had a bigger plan in all of that. I think it was it was weird, but uh, it it turned out exactly the way it was supposed to. I like that statement that comfort can birth discomfort. Uh, Lisa, was that happening for you at the same time? And and what did that feel like? What was unsettled for you? So for me specifically, I was teaching at the time and I was teaching in a large elementary school. We had visited Mexico, what I visited three times. And uh, one of the things I noticed here specifically were, was that the kids weren't in school. Many of the kids weren't in school. That just the need was so different. The need was so obvious here. Um, and for me, I remember sitting in a staff meeting with our school and I was in an incredibly organized school just just very successful school and we were talking about reading development and we were talking about how our smart goal for the year was to raise our kids reading level from an average b minus to an average b plus and i was sitting there thinking wow when that's our smart goal how privileged are we we just when that's our goal and here there were kids in mexico that weren't even attending school they there were a lot of girls especially that weren't getting that opportunity and it just seemed you know it just seemed so much easier to be able to help with the skills that we had in a place where there was so much need but not a lot being done and so yeah it made me it discontent i knew everybody was fighting for my job in ontario canada teaching jobs are well paid they're very secure yeah. there was a lot of competition for my job there were a lot of people very capable of doing what i was doing there but it seemed like in mexico nobody was doing that there was the need and nobody was meeting it. And so we just felt it was just an obvious, it was obvious to us. I think it's interesting that you said you had made the decision previously to say yes to small things, like you were building that muscle, Mm -hmm. like it was an exercise Mm -hmm. and you were building that muscle. It didn't start one day with all of a sudden we're gonna move. It was a building over time. But when that day did come and you felt like God was asking you to move, like how did you know like how did did you hear a voice did you sense it did you how did you know it was time to move well we we were um, 
we had the connection to Mexico and we, we, we thought we were going to help actually, we thought we were going to help people from Canada by, by sending things, by bringing teams, by doing those kinds of things. But again, the discontentment with all of that was, was just so strong in us. We, we knew we could do more. We should, we knew we should do more. And so we, we waited for God to present an opportunity. And then one day we got a call from uh, the people that we were working with here in Mexico saying, hey, we could really use some help on, in this area. That, uh, and it was working with orphans, which was what God had been placing in our heart for a long time. Just the burning need to, to do something for, for kids who, who, to be the voice for kids who had no voice. And it was, um, it, 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 we both listened to the conversation. We listened to that, read, read the letter that was sent, listened to the call. And uh, I didn't say anything to Lisa. She didn't say anything to me. And uh, we thought about it for a little bit, and then we just both kind of looked at each other and went, "It's time. It's just time." And it was it was one uh, wasn't a voice. It was more of a, just this this calm feeling, knowing that there was yeah, this is the right thing. There was there, there was a a peace that came about when you thought about it that was the right thing to do. And so we to us being so used to saying yes to God, we knew when it was. You know, and and like you said, it's a muscle that you build. After a little while, you just understand what the voice of God is, and you understand how to respond to it. And you know, your responsibility is to do what God has called you to do. So you just do it. It's it's a weird thing, but it it, it absolutely is is true. You get to the point where you understand God's voice, and you listen, and you do just automatically. What year was this when that when you got that invitation? What year did that happen? Okay was the end of 2007 and we moved in 2008. So you had a little bit of time between that invitation and the actual move as you mm -hmm. spent time quitting your jobs, packing up, telling people about it, getting ready to go. Were there fears that popped up? I know that you said you had a sense of peace, but did that mean you didn't have any fears or what were some of those feelings and conversations you had. One of the biggest things was was family. Just because uh, we have, we both have have family, have lots of family in Canada, and and there was always that that what about your security? What about Lisa especially? The one of the big questions was because of the, her teaching position. What about your your um, Pension. You know, pension. <laughs> what about all of that stuff? And what about your secu your financial security? You're giving up a whole lot of of that in order to step into who kind of stepping into the unknown. No, there were no securities. There was no nothing secure about what we were doing. So, um, yeah, family had a lot of a lot of questions. A lot of. <laughs> so. But by that time, we we were so used to saying yes. We had we had created this pattern of saying yes. And just waiting for God's next instruction. I think that it became the idea. And I remember saying, "Well, yeah, there is my pension. I know, but but God has to know that too, right?" And I, and and we're selling our house, and we're we're selling our things, and we're quitting our jobs, and we're giving up our security. But but again, it's it's the way we've been living in little ways. This is just a bigger step. It's a much bigger step, but it's just a bigger step. And uh, it's the same thing. We've got to take the step and wait for the next instruction or wait for the next thing and just believe that God knows what he's doing in it. Let's tug on that thread of, of saying yes. Uh, for listeners who may have always wondered, how do you know if it's God and how to say yes? Do the two of you have a process or some model that you use together to uh, affirm at God's calling to you and how you respond in saying yes? Well, there's, there's a lot of things 
that see people people sit and they wait for for God's voice or wait for God to say this is what they need to do or the spirit to move them that kind of kind of thing but that's it's it's one of the ways that we Christians we we avoid sometimes doing what needs mm. because I didn't hear God's voice or but there's some things that are obvious there's if a person's hungry you feed them if a person mm. is sad, you comfort them. If a person's in jail, you visit them. If there's, when the need is there, you just do it. You don't have to be. God has already asked us to do those things. So that's where we started. We started with just looking at it and going, where there's a need, we'll just do that. And so we don't have to wait for the Spirit to move us, or we don't have to wait for some voice from heaven to say, this is what, he's already sent us his voice. He's already written it down for us. He didn't even just say it. He wrote it down so that we could know what was, was necessary. So we would do those things. And for me, it, it wasn't at all a voice. And I remember there was a time where, I think for me, because we were, we were involved in our church, we were leading programs, and I was a teacher, and 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 he was a youth pastor. We were we were used to leading group things. We were used to leading big things. And and what God was showing us in the last couple of years, even before we came down, before we realized what the calling was, was just how to recognize individual needs and just to be kind of attuned to what was happening in people. And we started, for me, I was always so busy with teaching and leading kids' choirs and all these big things. And I think what God was just showing me was how to stop and just recognize when I see somebody that looks down, do I have the time? Am I going to put in my time to just go over and say something or give them a call or send them a note or something in little ways, in the smallest little ways? And it was in, and Rick would laugh at me because that, that year, that year before we left, we never got out of church because I'd always have to go and, and talk to somebody. And I, but I just started to be responsive to those little, little, it was like a little nudge or a little hunch that I would have. And, and it, I never ran it through the course of, is God telling me this? It was just, if I felt it, I was going to, I was going to go with it. And, and when I stand before God, I hope if I've erred in some way, it's on the, it's on the side of giving too much or doing too much or responding too much rather than saying, you know, I don't have the time or maybe that wasn't God, or maybe, maybe it was just me thinking that up, right? I want it. I want to respond and I want to bless where I can and and see the needs and meet the needs where they can in the smallest of ways with regular people. Mm. We, we believe that whatever you do that's good is godly. It's just, mm -hmm. it's of God. Where love is, God that's is good. where God is. <laughs> Rick, I love that you said, like, we already have a model for how we're supposed to live. Like, Jesus lived it. His word yeah. says it. And sometimes I think we overcomplicate it. Like, we Absolutely. get to caught up in is this right or is it not when we already have an example to follow and a way to live is it, is it wrong to say we over spiritualize it we we wait for something massive when when it's so simple and so you know it's so godly when you just do what's right <laughs> or i think sometimes we 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 think we need to be the fix we need to you know we need to be i'm not I, i'm not qualified to fix this person's issue i'm not i'm not qualified look at what they're going through i'm not i'm not educated for that or i don't have the qualifications and it's not even about that sometimes it's just sitting with somebody just being there just being present and god wants to use you just in a moment he's not expecting you to be the fix and we ex we worry about being the fix well you know I, I better i better not because i don't have the time to to work through their whole issue and sometimes god's just saying give me 5 minutes just sit 5 minutes that's all i need from you at this moment i've got something else worked out for tomorrow i love that idea of thinking 
as you were leading up to moving to Mexico, God was already pointing out these really small ways that he was going to ask you to show up. And then you could bring that mentality with you when you moved. But I'm sure you still had expectations of what God was going to do. What was different than what you expected? We always say that we thought, you know, you're coming to work with orphans. There's going to be a lineup around the block of people just standing in line waiting to help you help. You know, the people are going, where do you, what do you need money for? What, where do you need my help? How do you, and we just thought that we were, you know, so obvious it's orphans. God is going to bless that and people are going to be all over that. And, and then, you know, I, I, I say to churches sometimes when I speak in churches and stuff, I say, you know what my job has become? My job has become convincing people that the lives of orphans are worth it. They're worth their investment. Lisa, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> Everything. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's good that you asked me this question because nothing keeps Rick up at night. <laughs> and everything, I'm the worrier. <laughs> mm. What are some of the things that constantly, that are consistent? So this has been a, a changing thing for me lately, but um, for me, my worry has always been our future. So we've always, I've learned, you know, we gave, when we when we came here, when we made the decision to come, we we had the calling to you know, sell and go. And we sold our home, we sold our things, we quit our jobs, which was quitting our security and brought our kids down. And, and, uh, and we've always been able to see that we've been provided for in our daily lives. But one of the things that we faced because we were, we were really underfunded, we weren't fully funded and in missions was that we were just watching our, my pension our savings mm. from our home, which was our buffer when we came here, we just watched that depleting on an ongoing basis. And and at the beginning, it wasn't so bad because it was higher. And as the years went by, we just would watch that get lower and lower and lower. So even though I was able to say, well, I have all of my needs, I have food and I, we have you know what we need, there was always that fear of, but what's going to happen when we hit bottom? What's mm. what's going to happen? You know, am I going to be able to send my kids to university? Am I going to be able to move back to Canada someday to to be with my grandkids? Am I, you know, so so it was very real and and it was a very a big faith issue for me to to believe that okay, God is providing us. We see Him all the time here in very practical ways. He He protects us and He's provided. But God, what I've learned about God is that He really provides on the daily basis and he doesn't need to show me my future security mm. he needs me to trust that i'm going to have what i need today and that means you know in 15 years time i'm going to have to trust what he's going to have for me then as well and so rick has a has an easier time with this but for me it was just that okay well where is this going what what's going to happen in 10 years with our home if if we can't afford to be here what's you know so Mm. That kept me up at night. And it's it's constantly learning to realize God's timing is different from mine. And he worries about today and gives me what I need today. And I need to trust him for all the tomorrows. Lisa is the analyzer in the family. She's the one who <laughs> sees all the details and all that kind of stuff. I'm kind of the dreamer in the family. Mm. And, and so, so she sees all that could go right, but she also sees all that could go wrong. I just kind of see all that could go right. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm not really smart enough to think about all, about all the details. So I just, I, I, I don't know, I don't really understand 
Um, and this is going to sound really awful, but I don't really understand anxiety a lot myself. I, I just, mm -hmm. I, I don't worry about a lot of things, but again, it might not be that I'm that, uh, I'm brave or anything like that. It just might be that I'm not that smart. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but, but, but my brain doesn't work like that. <laughs> so. I think it's probably a good way that you balance each other and complement yes. each other yes. as you lead. Absolutely. Yeah. It's totally yeah. true. He relaxes me. And she keeps my feet on the ground. So. <laughs> yeah, powerful. And you need both. And Lisa, yeah. when you were talking about provision, it made me think of the way that you guys got the land where Possibilities House is now. Could oh. you share with us the story of how you came to have the home where you <laughs> do? I do that one? Yeah, you're always. Yeah. Going to have to I'm going to because it was, it was my, it was my explosion. We had gotten to a point where um, we had we had begged and pleaded with God for. We knew that the land was right. It was confirmed in us so in so many ways that the land was what we wanted and and what God wanted for the kids. Or at least that's what we felt. But every corner that we turned, it was like the doors were being closed, and and we had promises of help that didn't come through. We had. Um, you know, I had begged and pleaded with everybody and just, and, and the question always was, well, how many children do you have there? Well, we're not open yet. We don't really have a license, but we need this land in order to be able to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so it, it dragged out and dragged out for years. It was, it was, we had the land ready to go. Lisa and I were putting our personal finance into that to keep it on, on the hook, to keep the owner happy. And so we lost a lot in that respect, but at, I had gotten to a point where I was done. I just couldn't go any further, and, and my strength was gone. My my, the heart, my heart was gone for it. And I, I, at one evening, I just screamed at God, and I and I apologize if it sounds weird to anybody, but but I got angry. I got angry, and I yelled in my house. Mm -hmm. And my kids and Lisa were in the other room, and and I was I was I was having a little bit of a breakdown, and I cried and I screamed and I yelled and I said to God, Why? Why would you do? Why would you tease me like this? Why would you treat me like this? Why would you put it in my hand and then not give it to me? Not let me have it? It's it's like you're you're playing with me. Stop playing with me. So. I'm done, and tomorrow I'm calling the owner of the land, and I'm saying, I'm sorry, we tried and we failed, and I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going through this pain with my family anymore. And so <laughs> at least I think was in the other room, probably afraid that a lightning bolt was going to come out of the sky because <laughs> it, was, it was not good. It was not my best moment at all. And uh, literally the next morning, I got a phone call from a church that said, hey, I uh, just wanted you to know we were uh, going to build our own church. We have a, we're, they were renting in a, in a school to, to have their church and they were going to buy a piece of land and build a church. And they said, but we've decided that it would be a bigger investment and a better investment in the kingdom of God to buy your land for your children's home. Wow. And I immediately broke and we've learned since then to just be calm, just relax. He's, if, I'm either going to believe that God has it in, under control or he doesn't. And if I believe that he does, let him be in control and, and stop worrying so much. And I really haven't worried a day, much of a day since that. So. And his deadlines are always way past ours. Very much. We have very set deadlines where we think it has to be answered by this date or else. And his deadlines are after ours. His timing is not our timing. But his timing but is always perfect. But he comes perfect. through. Yeah, mm -hmm. He does. Thank you, Rick, for like that vulnerability and honesty yeah. that like sometimes we get angry like we can try and trust and we can try and believe and also like god's not scared by that like he can handle that no. he can handle our anger and our frustration who of us have had a child who's thrown a tantrum and we stop loving them 
loving mm. them, right? Lisa, did it feel like a, a massive breaking point when you have such a you've got such a hopeful dreamer partner in Rick, and then you have this one time where he's he's at his wits end and having a <laughs> are you like for real? It's it's bad right now because this is Rick, and he's always <laughs> dreaming, and here we are. <laughs> I think in our marriage, I think one of the things that is that's held us and, and carried us through is that we take turns being the strong one, mm. and and we yeah. when one is strong and one is weak, the other one just automatically steps in and 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 kind of carries it. Yeah. And uh, that's right. Yeah, we we've both had our times for sure where we've been frustrated with God and frustrated with circumstances and just. I mean, closed door after closed door after closed door. And, and when there's so much heart in something and so much passion, so much hope and, and you get a closed door, it's really hard. It's really hard to deal with. When I think about your story, I've been fortunate to get to know you guys and known you for a couple of years now. And when I think about actually know, 10 years now, maybe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. <laughs> but when I think about your story, I think about patience and perseverance. You all have been patient and you have persevered. Can you... Um, talk to us a little bit about how you've been patient with those closed doors. How do you keep going in the face of disappointment? How do you persevere? Mm. Why do you persevere? What has made it worth it? Well, well number number one, if you're if you're going to do anything like we've done, you got to know your calling. You got to know that it's something. It's a vision that God has birthed in you. It's not just something that you thought through. And and I think if it was just what we had have had planned or what the vision that we had if it was just us i think we would have failed a long time ago because mm. you doubt but when you're and and again it comes from the building up of the process in your life from starting small and building up to bigger things you start to understand and and trust god's voice and and i think we when we came here we knew we were called Every, there was i can't say that we don't have enough time to tell you how many things we failed at since we've been here um but there's always that understanding in your heart and that that deep understanding that God is with you, that this is the real deal, that God has called us to do this, and somehow this is going to work out. And uh, and we stuck with that, and it, it carried us through. It just carried us through for, for years. I think all of our education and experience working with kids and all of that is is a benefit, but I think it's ultimately just our belief that God is in this, even when we don't see him working, even in those, and there were years where, where it seemed like God went quiet. And the most difficult part of this journey for us has been in the waiting because you just see the need. We came to meet the need. The need was there and we were our hands tied for, for long time periods. And so we, so we just fell back on our faith and, and, and we didn't see God, but we knew, we knew that we knew that we knew that he was in this. And that his timing was going to be different than ours. His way was going to be different than ours. But looking back, and it's in the hindsight where we see that God was maneuvering us. He was changing our course. He was to a better course in the closed doors. And and so often you don't see that in the moment. But we see that looking back. We're in a different place than we would have been. And we're in a better place than we would have been. We never would have been with back-to-back had those doors not been closed. You know, God's guidance was just different. And and when we talk to people starting off in, in missions or in any kind of an adventure like this, we say, you know, you, you tend to have your goal and you think your path is going to be a straight path and not at all because those turns and those bumps are where you learn. You learn resilience. You learn character development. You learn all of those things. 
that are required for you to be more successful in what you're doing. Right now you have 13 kids at the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's the future look like? Like, what are your dreams and goals and plans? And you're the dreamer, Rick, but Lisa, I know you have dreams <laughs> too. Tell them the reality, Lisa. <laughs> yeah. We're both dreamers. <laughs> His dreams are a little crazier than mine. Yeah. We both dream. <laughs> so for us, I think one of the great things we've we've talked about in the future is we have a we have a really large piece of land and we're we're in a city that's fairly small. Um so it helps us be our future. We just see deep impact. We just see a deeper impact. We see a, a bigger reach, a greater reach in our area. Because right now we've started with a home. Our our goal had had always been in the past, and this is where God changes things, right? But our goal had always been to meet the needs of those kids that fall through the gaps because they need long-term care. They need a long-term family because they'll never get adopted for whatever situation. It might be because there are five siblings together or for whatever reason. There's, they'll never get adopted and they won't be reunited with their families. And so, and that's a small niche, but it was a niche that wasn't being covered. And we wanted to bring those kids up in families, almost like foster families, but families where we could give them permanency and we could give them love and structure. Um, But but lately, and especially with with working so closely with Back to Back, we've seen other programs. So we've seen now the foster program get introduced into into Mexico. And it's funny because we were foster parents for a time before we came here. And so we we know there are greater needs in our city for kids for short-term care. And that's not something that's been our goal. But it's something that we can bring to our area, to our region, where we just can give more kids more help and families. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the Strong Families program as well, where it's orphan care prevention and, and strengthening families. And there's just so much need for it. Even we've seen it in the families that we're already working with because we work with the kids that we have in our home. We work with their biological families. There's so much need. There's so much need for just parenting skills and abilities and communication strategies to work with their kids. We still need their kids to be, we still need to heal that relationship, even though that relationship may not be ever a permanent residency with, with their family again. Mm. And so we just see so much opportunity for growth and, and outreach in our own region with, with reaching more kids who need care for, for shorter periods of time. Um, just expanding the knowledge of what orphan care is, what family style orphan care is, the way that we can strengthen families and moms to give them skills, give fathers skills so they can stay, give marriages help so that the, the couples can stay together so that they have each other to, to hold on to in order to build a family. Um, we just, there's so, so much opportunity here. We're, we're just thrilled about what the future holds for us. We have, we have a lot of big dreams, but um, coming alongside with back-to-back, even in a much more strong way now, uh, much stronger, our relationship has become with back-to-back, as you all know. And and, and so now the, what we saw as something that we would like to do, that we would thought could be a possibility, has now become a reality for us. It's something that we can do. And we're seeing our future has become all of a sudden a whole lot brighter and a whole lot more of a possibility and of a, of a reality, you know? So that's the future of Possibilities House or Casa Posibilidades. But if you could pick one kid in the home today 
and paint a picture of what you hope and dream for mm. his or her future. What do you see? What is possible? <laughs> there are so many. <laughs> Should I tell my heaven story? <laughs> yes. Mm. Okay, this is what I see for our kids. I was at a church a little while ago, and one of our guys in, in that church sponsors one of our kids, and this kid's name is Cesar. And so... I was telling, uh, just and God just put it in my head, and, and I said, you know, someday you're going to be in heaven, and you're going to be walking down the street, and some little voice is going to sneak up beside you, and excuse my accent, but here it comes. <laughs> and he's going to say, Señor, Señor. And you're going to turn around, and you're going to look at that little boy, and you're going to go, who are you? And he'll say, you don't know me. You don't know me. But I just want to say thank you for all that you did for me. And, and you're going to go, I, I don't even know who you are. What did I do for you? Mm. And he'll say, no, you didn't know me, but you knew my grandfather. His name was Cesar. Mm. And I think what we're doing is breaking and setting up generations and generations and generations to come where the little, the little child that you, you're, we're, we're leading right now, the little mm. life that we're changing right now, that child, it, yeah, we're going to change his life, but we're going to change his child's life, and we're going to change his child's life and his child's life. And the only way that that's going to, we're never going to know. I don't think we're ever going to know what the future is going to hold for these kids. And we're getting old, so we're, we're never probably going to see it, but uh, that's not important. Someday, someday I believe I'm going to be walking down the streets of heaven and, and some little child that I've never met is going to come up to me and go, Mm. You knew my grandfather. Mm. And, and I think that's, that's the goal for us, is just to, to break the generational poverty and the generational abuse and things that we see in, in these kids when they come to us and set that up so it never happens again, so that the, these kids will know Jesus and their kids will know Jesus and their kids will know Jesus. And, and that, to me, is the goal. Mm. My reward is not going to be here ever. I'm never going to see it. I got a feeling, but mm. it's coming. <laughs> Not that you do it for rewards, you know. <laughs> Todd, one of Todd's recent uh, sayings since the pandemic hit is uh, uh, stay in the fight. And uh, if, there was, if there was any kind of theme that Lisa and I would have, it's that. Stay in the fight. Yeah, I think what you just described in that story around heaven um, defines what sets apart back-to-back -back site directors that you could ask any director we've interviewed a couple on this podcast and you can go back and listen to those those threads um i represent that i'm a site director as well and as you were talking felt two things one of just someone yeah that's that's who we are not who you are i felt that that was a who we are so i want to claim sure. that and second one to say Welcome to the club. I think either Cincinnati's either seventh or eighth as a site. Depends on whether or not DR um, crossed the finish line before we did as a as a site that's launched. <laughs> We're not sure. We're still looking at the tape. Um, but as a fresh new site director as well over the past couple of years, I reached out to Todd, our uh, director, our executive director, uh, and asked him, "What drew you to Rick and Lisa to say yes to our ninth site?" and he said this, he said, these are two people who step into the call that God has for them. And he capitalized that God has for them, regardless of the resources. 
that they faithfully walk forward and that th- that is who I want to partner and serve alongside. And I just amen that and just wanted to give those words to you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. <laughs> yeah. I would wow. agree with, I'd agree with everything that Todd said. And I just want to close by saying thank you on behalf of those who get to serve alongside you mm-hmm. for inspiring us, encouraging us, for being an example of saying yes, even when you don't know the next step. Thank you for being patient and persevering through closed doors and no's and government red tape and resources that didn't look like they were gonna come through. Thank you for continuing to protect and care for and give voice to the kids in your home for the way you love them and applaud their creativity and innovation and and let them be kids. And thank you for um, just sharing your story with us today, for encouraging us to be people who say yes. Oh, Sammy, this one, as we concluded, um, felt really personal from a couple of different angles. One, as I mentioned in the in the episode, as a site director mm-hmm. for Back to Back, connecting with Rick and Lisa feels really important to me. Second. The continual conversation that they would have around saying yes resonates really heavily with me because for as long as I can remember, I've had a phrase that says, say yes until you can't. Uh, Anyone who's been on a back-to-back trip with me, it's one of the first things that I say to a group that's participating. This week's going to send you in all kinds of different directions. Say yes until you can't because can't is okay, but you don't know how far you can go until you say yes to all these other things. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, saying yes to jumping off of really high things, I'm in. Saying yes to starting new hard things, always in. Saying yes to the adventures of my family, for sure. Saying yes to waiting, that's one of the quick ones that I feel like, I don't know if I can. Rick and Lisa reflect a lot of that. How does saying yes and waiting impact you? Well, I called it out in the episode because when I think about their story, I really do think about patience and perseverance. And a lot of that is they did a lot of waiting from 2008 to 2015 when Possibilities House finally opened its doors. That was a long time to wait. And honestly, waiting makes me uncomfortable. Mm. It makes me feel like I don't have control. Makes me feel like like this anxiousness to want to do something. I feel like waiting requires almost more trust than action. And it's in seasons of waiting where I think sometimes we get stuck and kind of charge forward and think we need to go with our own plan. Mm. But what I love about Rick and Lisa is they, they stayed true to their call. Closed doors, they kept moving forward. Like, how do you, how do you hold on to hope and, and stay patient in waiting? Yeah, that, that, aspect of the waiting empowers me to think about the internal work that I need to do so much. Mm. And I think that's the the tension. And if there's a takeaway as an audience, maybe you're not waiting on the what's next because you're feeling this outrageous call to move from your city to another country or to go even on a trip right now. But are you willing to wait on God to change who you are internally because that's what I loved about their relationship with each other is they're both at peace with who they are. Mm. And I think that waiting led to a self-awareness and a reliance on God and one another. Yeah. I feel like the, the balance of their personalities was so clear 
and it's made them such like so strong as a couple and such strong leaders to be able to persevere through that. I think waiting's maybe made easier when you have other people with you in it. And that community, I mean, over and over again, we keep talking about how important community is Mm -hmm. and to have someone by your side. It's part of why I love that you called out as a fellow site director that that understanding of that really unique role Mm. because they're about to embark on something new and it is so important that they know there are other people who have done it too. I think that strengthens us in things that are hard, that strengthens us in waiting. I'm so excited for them to become a more official part of this back-to-back community. Yeah, because they said yes a long time ago to something as simple as a trip. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sammy, you said yes to a trip. It changed my life. I said yes to a trip and it transformed the my own belief system about who I could draw like community and unity with mm. because I think yeah. my vantage point was smaller before that and as we process takeaways together we want to invite you as an audience that you can say yes and you can be in the waiting and the watching and the praying and the planning and the building of community as part of our back-to-back community as well. We're gonna put in the show notes access to some trips for all the back-to-back sites, um, all nine of our sites that are available for you to be able to connect to. We're also gonna put a link if you are longing to invest because you were moved by Rick and Lisa's story to be able to invest and support as they continue to lead a site. And last, we're going to have some more information about the sites and what Back to Back is doing around the world. So check out the show notes for that. As always, we are grateful for our producer, Mikey, who is so impressive that he set us up in a new spot. So we're not at Cohatch anymore because Mikey is the super producer and has set us up in our own spot. Until the next episode, friends. Thanks. Thanks.